Hello and welcome to TLDR On The Road. This is a new podcast where when we go out to our different events and to different areas uh, where we play games, we're going to interview designers, we're going to interview playtesters, gamers, as well as hosts of, of these events. Uh, today I have with me, uh, for the first time, uh, we just finished playing this game. We're at the Dallas Tabletop Artisan Workshop, which is a new event that's going to happen monthly where designers get together with their prototypes and new Kickstarters and bring it to the audience, us gamers and playtesters, to get to experience their games, give them our feedback, as well as say, hey, we're kickstarting at this point. Well, today with me, I have Todd Boyce of a fantastic, great spaceship war game. This game is with hostile intent. You I got did, it right this time. I did. <laughs> <laughs> we just I did a live stream of it. So if you haven't checked it out, go check it out at our Facebook page at TLDR Game Series. Uh, Todd, this game, wow. It when when did you come up with the concept of you wanting to build a Starship War game? Uh, well, really, back in 2002, maybe, two th- well, uh, upwards of 2002 to 2005, roughly, uh, I played a lot of a game called Babylon 5 Wars. It was a, a Starship combat game based in the Babylon 5 universe. And it's a, it's a very, very fun game to play. I, I still enjoy playing it. Um, but... Uh, you know, with any any game, after you've played it a while, you kind of start to see flaws or things that you'd like to be able to do in a, a game system that it's not really designed to do. Uh, for instance, Babylon 5 Wars is a two-dimensional game, and, you know, space is a three-dimensional environment. So I kind of wanted to, to design a game and see if I could do it, first of all, of designing a three-dimensional space combat war game that was easy to play. Uh, that's one of the big problems with three dimensions is that when you deal with game rules and trying to do stuff at the table, it can be really tough to deal with three dimensions. So, but I think I've worked out a pretty easy way to handle it and a very easy way for people to, uh, understand what they're doing and, and how it all works. So that's really where it all started. Well, we only got to do the two uh, dimension version because it was my first time to ever play it, you know, and it was First off, it was two and a half hours. It didn't even feel that long. It, it just played so smoothly. Uh, but I want you to explain to the audience listening, those who didn't see the the live stream, what is with Hostile Intent all about? Like, Give your best verbal type of description you can so people understand the complexities of, of space and this war game. Uh, with Hostile Intent is really trying to not completely accurately model space combat, uh, but it's supposed to give you a good enough feel for the actualities of space where your ships have inertia. So once you go in a direction, you keep going in that direction until you spend thrust to change it. Or once you're spinning, you keep spinning. And uh, the direction your ship is facing is not dependent on the direction that it is traveling. So you can fly upside down, backwards, you know, to the side, things like that. Um, then you also have all of the uh, tropes of sci- sci-fi combat where ships can be on fire and you have, you know, crews battle, you know, trying to get systems back online and you have computer warfare like in Battlestar Galactica where ships are being infected by computer viruses and, uh, you know, they're having effects on ships. And basically that whole kit and caboodle of, 
of science fiction awesomeness that I, I just wanted to incorporate into a, a single game system. I think you did a great job on it. Uh, even though, again, we only played the 2D version, just the whole having to deal with the mechanics of, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm already moving at a speed of four, you know, knots, in, uh, you know, every turn. I got to so slowly bring that backwards or I'm going to fly off the board if I don't. Right, or you're flying so fast and then your front thruster gets blown off and then you realize, <laughs> oh no, now I can't, you know. Which happened I to both of that. us. Yeah. <laughs> Which then you have to, you know, do your yawing, which is a great, great concept uh, to add into a game because in normal war games, especially ships or or outer space, you don't have that ability. It's all about the turning the rotation again on the on the three uh, on the two D map. Mm -hmm. You know, they never think about yawing as an additional movement. Why did you like? What made you really consider that? Was it? Back in the you know the other games that you played, or was it something because you were telling me how you had a love for space? Right. Well, like you said, most games tie your direction of travel to the direction that you're facing, and that goes for starship combat games. Uh, certainly, Starfleet Battles works that way. Babylon Five Wars works that way. X-wing works that way. Um, but then again, X-wing in the Star Wars universe. Their spaceships pretty much fly <laughs> like that anyway. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I looked at games. Uh, Attack Vector Tactical is a very good game and a very good game that models starship combat uh, in a sort of a near future way. Um, but, you know, I wanted a little bit more of the uh, whiz-bang, the, the not necessarily science fiction, but more science fantasy. But... Sort of in between. You know, I didn't want to go too far toward either direction. So that's kind of where I kind of wanted this game to sit. And you did it. I, I, I will say that from my experience, you did it. Um, I, I'm a really big fan of war games um, or, or strategy games, you know, where it's two, I mean, player versus player, which we just played and I had so much fun. I'm glad Thank you, you did. Thank you for that. Um, but... Besides the fact that, you know, you, we have space combat that's so, you know, you have to be intuitive about what you're doing. Um, what other factors in this game really change it from other perspective, I mean, other games that are, are similar to this or like this? Like you were talking about fires that, that erupt or, um, you know, you have reactors, you know, hits. Talk about, let's hear about that. Right, well, some of that uh, actually comes from Babylon 5 Wars because Babylon 5 Wars had a very similar uh, hit location chart sort of thing. Um, and you could do critical hits where you hit reactors and things like that. Now, I've in Babylon 5 Wars, the, um, those are systems on your ship, so as they take damage, you, you suffer the effects. I've, I've tried to simplify my game uh, because there's, when you include three dimensions especially, you know, you, you only have so many thought processes you can go through when playing a game before it gets too bogged down. So I wanted to, I simplified in some areas so that I could add that complexity uh, to there. So I've removed critical hits from actual marking off on the sheet and instead have them cause direct effects to your ship. They raise your profile so you're easier to hit or they reduce your armor so you you're more likely to take damage, or they shut down weapon systems until you can get a damage control team to fix it, and things like that. And so, you know, those are some of the ways that I've, I've tweaked 
the rules from you know the the original game that I was inspired by to become its own system and uh, make it different than a lot of other systems that are out there because there are systems that do sort of a damage control thing but they uh, but they don't have inertia movement you know they have regular um, sailing ship movement right. thing or they have inertia movement but they don't have ships catching on fire or you know it's you can find any one of these elements in other games but you don't find them all together in the same game right very true and so that's 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 where it's it's really different than most other games is that it incorporates all these things well i mean it, it does and it does it very well uh now one thing i would have to say is while you were explaining it it seems so overwhelming. But once you start getting actually into the rhythm of the game, this flows so well. Like, what what made you, you know, really cut down the flow of the rules that you're just like, okay, we've moved. Now now we're on the attack phase. Now we're, we're dealing with the damage. Like, it, it all just came together very nicely. How did that come about for you well it certainly didn't come about instantaneously right. I, it didn't you know i didn't just plop it down on a page and say all right now it's awesome no it, this has gone through a lot of playing a, pl a lot of play testing uh i've had a lot of core mechanics it, it's very different from what i originally started with because um, originally it started with a more uh motion being tied to your direction of travel and it originally started on a hex map not a square map mm -hmm. uh, until I learned that um, when I tried to incorporate the three dimensions that a hex map made it really difficult um, uh, made it really difficult with the ma math involved and, and people's understanding of what's going on that's that's it's something that's a major hurdle to overcome is uh, getting the the average person to understand what they're doing in in this sort of game and and even so uh, you know not everybody thinks in three dimensions sort of like i do and uh are, are the, it doesn't come as naturally as it does to others and so there is going to be a certain audience that isn't going to enjoy my game i understand that uh, because of what it is but it's ease of being able to rip out those three-dimensional elements and the game still plays perfectly fine that's another thing that i worked on to uh make the game more accessible um, but the job of a game designer is to take the rules and trim them down to their bare necessities and to have me mechanics that are easy to understand such that the game flows efficiently and and you know this is just a result of that amount of time spent refining and refining and, and tearing out things that that aren't efficient or don't work as as well or or are confusing to a player right and so we didn't get to play with the 3d functions again it was my first time um you know 2d worked very very well like you, you said it, it it didn't seem like it was missing anything so i can only expect that once the 3d element is added in with uh, maybe another playthrough, wink, wink, nudge, sure. nudge. But, you know, it's just going to be even more in-depth of play and decision-making. So what are those 3D elements? Like, you were talking about, like, a, a, an up and down that we didn't right. incorporate into it. So and what else? Now, now you've, you've played the, the 2D version. The 3D version only adds 
the top and bottom thrusters. Mm -hmm. It adds the uh, altitude measurement. And so we usually track altitude with counters. And, um, and then you add the center of that line of sight locator, which, which is essentially a, a horizon view. So the, the center of that, that locator is the horizon. Anything above or anything above that line is above your ship. Anything below that line is below your ship. And you just do two lines of sight instead of just one. And the firing arcs that are on the weapons work the same way. So it's not really that much of a stretch to go from 2D to 3D in terms of understanding. Right. Uh, but it seems like, though, if we're doing a 3D dimension, that you can pitch it. So, like, let's say, oh, no, I see his scatter blasters are, you know, at a certain different arc that they control. Right. The strategies... Is to get higher than than their right. ship. The strategies become much more complicated in three dimensions. Because then you have to worry about the bottom of your ship or the top mm -hmm. of your ship. And uh, certainly in the ships that you were playing, uh, I don't know if you noticed that the bottom of your ship is actually pretty vulnerable. It has very weak armor underneath. And so if I'm able to maneuver under your ship and, and come up at you like a shark, I could really do some heavy damage to you. And so you might want to flip your ship over to protect your, your belly uh, you know, when, you're, when you're in a higher altitude than your opponent. See, and I love all these little, you know, meticulously thought out concepts you've built into the game. You know, didn't get to play it, but it just sounds like another great complex method of gameplay that really draws more out of the game. Because here, here you are, like you said, coming up like a shark or, you know, uh, rotating it and doing like a barrel roll in space. So to protect right. yourself as you turn Another thing I really liked about this game was the fact that time is a factor, really. Because when we are on simultaneous uh, initiatives, you know, right. if you attack first and then I attack, if you've hit me and taken out a gun, I still fire from there. Which in some games, they're like, oh, you know, the first player, they do damage and then whatever right. happens, you can't. I go, you go system. Right. Or... But no, this is all simultaneous. That I, I love that fact because, yeah, in true time, we're firing at each other. It's not just, oh, wait, hold on, I'll wait for you to go. Yeah. Well, and that is another thing is that there are a lot of things that are simultaneous. So that helps speed up gameplay as well. So mm -hmm. that both, you know, you have a ship that needs to move and I have a ship that needs to move on an initiative step. We can both do it at the same time and move our ships at the same time. And that cuts down... Uh, the time that it takes for me to take my action and you to take your action. And so, you know, that was one of the efficiencies that I that I worked out for this game. Which, and, you know, works very well. And, and I have to ask this about the turns. Mm -hmm. So in every round is three turns. So you in each turn you have a, a movement and a fire phase. Correct. So what came you to do three turns in one round? That, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, this is really a culmination of a lot of games that I played in the past. The, that idea of three phases in a turn uh, comes from uh, the Star Trek Tactical Combat Simulator from FASA hmm. uh, back in the day. They had a, a three-phase-per-turn thing, um, and, which also comes from Starfleet Battles, which had 30 
two segments, I think, in their turns. But um, I, I wanted to cut it down to just three because I wanted things that happen on a short time scale, like shooting a gun or doing a, a maneuver, and things that happen on a long-term scale, like fighting fires and doing damage control. And so that gave me the mechanism to do both on the, on the, on the phases, the, the individual turns. Um, you know, you do your movement and your shooting and things like that. And then at the transition between one uh, round to the next, that's when you do your longer term actions, your damage controls, your fire spreading, your computer warfare effects and things like that. All right. And I, I will have to say, I don't know how the other, you know, other games have gone for you, but our game, we only lasted one one round, really, because... This you, was you, shorter than most games. <laughs> you basically took out my battleship, my big uh, cruiser. That was quite a lucky shot. Very I, I lucky. Say. My Corvette, who was fine until the first round of turn two, basically was destroyed. And... I just have to say, does this game change with the addition of, of players, or addition of more ships? Like, how yes. how well does it does that modify your gameplay, though? It, and, it changes it a lot, actually. If you have uh, a single ship against a single ship, or two ships against two ships, then it's more of a duel. Mm-hmm. You're 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 maneuvering around a lot. Maneuver uh, has a lot more effect on on the. Um, the game and you're you're moving all over the map when you're playing just a few ships. When you're playing larger fleets, then you become more concerned about uh, certain ships protecting other ships from missiles, for instance. So you know, sort of real world tactics come in where you might put your interpose your little ships in between the missiles and your big ships so that they can shoot down some of those missiles before they reach the big ship. And you think more in three dimensions where, you know, you have some ships up high, some ships down low, and you're, you're trying to scissor pinch the, um, your opponent or trying to, trying to get your opponent into a, a no-win situation where no matter how he turns his ship, he's presenting a weak side to you and things like that. So the tactics do change quite a bit depending on how many ships you're playing and what type of ships. Right. Uh, small ships... You know, if you're playing one small ship versus one small ship, it is a dogfight. It's like two fighters uh, going at each other, and you're doing circles around each other and uh, a lot of maneuvering. Right. Well, and I also noticed the way we played this uh, with your game, we played two different types of ships that have two different types of weapons, too. Right. Uh, And are are all your different, um, uh, I would say, uh, basically races. The factions. Factions. All have different types of guns like that? They, or? they typically do. Okay. Uh, so, for instance, the Janela, they have blast lasers and they have torpedo, plasma torpedoes and they have uh, point defense lasers. Those are their sort of their main umbrella of weaponry that they use. Whereas the Kikoku have uh, particle beam cannons. They're, they're, they have a lot of particle weaponry. So particle beam cannons, scatter blasters are actually a type of particle beam weapon as well they just are rapid firing and they they spray out uh stuff uh there there is a a third faction that i have uh, the human faction and they have um sort of like rail guns they're actually gravitic guns and so they shoot projectiles that the projectiles themselves can do different things 
uh, depending on what type of projectile you load. And they also have missiles and torpedoes and lasers, and they have a much more variety of uh, differing weapons for their ships. Well, and that, that's another great thing I love about your game. I mean, there's, again, another change, you know, with just the factions, you know, with with warfare. Um, the only thing I would have to say is that I hate you. <laughs> you took out so many. Like, when I, when I was in Point Blank Rage, I thought... You had me on the ropes, though. I mean, yeah, well, uh, up until that last <laughs> turn, I did not. I mean, I may, may have, but... I mean, you, you stripped off half of the weapons on my cruiser. Just, just I had almost no firepower left. On Except for the rear weapons. Except for the rear weapons that you just happened to point, you know, get your ship into the arc of. I, right. I, I got a lucky shot off, and uh, yeah, because my cruiser was in trouble. Um, well, and then my my Corvette was was dead. I mean, it was dead. It only had one structure left. It was on fire. It didn't matter <laughs> that we were point blank range, and all of my scatter bullets missed <laughs> when you're right on top of me. That was that was just bad just luck. luck. I do want to talk about that. How in typical D twenty systems, you are always trying to get the number or higher, right. but in this system, you're getting the number or lower. Why do that? Uh, part of it, I mean, a big part of it has to do with the, the evolution of the game uh, over time. Uh, because adding modifiers is easier than subtracting modifiers. Mm. So that's why I have your base profile plus your sensors, and then you're only subtracting for range. Um, and then that gives you a number or less to hit. Otherwise, you'd have to do like a profile minus your sensors... And then add range, and I, I don't know, It's there are other things that can affect your to-hits, like damage to the weapon and things like that. And I, it just seemed like higher numbers, it, it was understandable that higher numbers were easier to hit instead mm. of lower numbers. Because you can only go um, to zero uh, if you if you do... Uh, if you're subtracting. Right. But a higher number, you can go above 20. You know, if I, I, there was one time where somebody got hit by uh, a reactor hit and their profile got bumped up and they were infected by uh, computer software and they had to shut down their ship. And when, they're sh when you shut down your ship, all your profiles get doubled while your ship is shut right. down. And so now you have a 24 to hit. And if you're pretty close, you're auto-hitting with all of your weapons. Right. You just can't miss. I, I think, again, a nice refined system that you have there. Because I, at first it may seem overwhelming for any anybody who does get a chance to play this game. Or once you finally release it on Kickstarter or if you find a publisher. You know, in any case, it, it is one of those things that you look at and you're like, okay, uh, let me understand this. But then once you actually just start doing the numbers, you know, it's like, okay, it's a 15 to hit your ship. Well, then I have... You know, um, my sensors, which gives me an added 3 to that. So, okay, now it's 18 to hit it. And then you just subtract. Now all you have to do from there, just subtract 3 from every different type of distance that you are from. Right. And that's it. Like, we were factoring those numbers by the middle of the game very quickly. Which, before, like in other games, you, you know, you have your measuring stick. Like, right. okay, what is that? You know, okay, so that's long range. It's minus 3 to, to your roll. And, and as you gain experience in playing the game, 
you you have techniques to make that even faster. Like you already write down the uh, profiles of the enemy ships, so you don't have to ask the person what profile am I hitting. Right. And you know some of these numbers become you know very obvious to you. It's like oh yeah, I know I know my ship so well. I know that you're in medium range. I know it's a minus six to hit. Right. You know, and so. And then rolling all the dice together, you know, on your hits and things like that. A lot of things you can do to speed up the game when you when you get more experience with it. You know, it, it's an old school type of game with a new new feel for it. Yeah. Like, uh, definitely reminds me of, you know, the old D&D and, you know, other uh, type of dice rolling games. Where it is you, an older school game. But where... with everything you have built into it, it's so revolutionized between other types of war games right um yeah the there is certainly an appeal for a very simple war game one that you can play in half an hour um i do enjoy those games this is not necessarily that kind of game uh it's not designed to be it's it's designed to have a bit more crunch a bit more of this detail that that kind of uh inspires all those things you see in science fiction films and things like that and uh lets you lets you know what you're doing and manipulate your ships in ways that you you imagine that they should be able to be manipulated and not be confined by you know very uh rigid movement rules or you know things like that that a lot of other games might have right which Thank you. Thank you for, for developing a, a type of game like this. Um, because you're right, you know, uh, the, the simple war games, everybody can play them. You know, there's something that you take out of the box, hour maybe. Right. You know, and then you're done. And then, you know, hey, let and me go. And those are take, fun. Those are great. Right. But there's not much thought to it. You know, yeah, there's a bit of strategy and tactics to it, but nothing like your game. You right. know, it's a, yours there's is, a lot more meat. Right. So <laughs> much more meat to it. So much more to consider. You know, I felt, especially at the beginning, a little timid from shooting or moving too far because I was like, okay, I got to get a feel for these ships. Normally in war games, like I, you can just go, okay, I'm going to go max speed and, you know, go forward because I know I'm not, we're not going to be within range and like by turn until turn two or three. Right. Here, <laughs> we were already fighting each other. On turn one. Yeah, even, even when you're playing on a large map. And we, we were playing on a reasonably sized map. You can go much larger, of course. Uh, but even on this reasonable map, your heaviest guns can shoot all the way across the map. Right. Uh, so with this, another thing that really distinguishes your game from other types of war games, and actually most games out there, are your miniatures. I mean, these are cast uh, what is it metal yeah those are pewter miniatures pewter miniatures I, I can't say that they'll always be pewter because resin and rapid prototyping and things like that are are really taking over the miniature market right but i mean still what, what you have now you have nice really detailed uh pewter miniatures they're also magnetized to their bases yes the magnetic adapters those are one of my most popular products. So, At least when I was selling them. I, I've had to take a hiatus on that for now. So what made you consider building it that way? The, 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 the 
magnetized uh, bases. Oh, and, well, and, I've, I've loved Starship Combat War Games for a long time. And one of the problems that I've had with collecting their miniatures is typically you glue the flight stands onto the miniatures. Transporting those miniatures is a hassle because either you have to give them plenty of space and padding so that they're very well protected, or they snap off their bases. And they're constantly snapping off their bases, I've found. And so this was an attempt to uh, rectify that situation. Have, a, have these adapters that you can put onto any sort of flight stand that you want. Um, I've put them on Warhammer miniatures, mm -hmm. and I've used them on Starfleet Battles miniatures. and It doesn't really matter. You can use any sort of flight stand. They're designed for that. Uh, but because they're magnetized, they're easy. You just take the miniature and the stand out of the box, you plop it on there, and you're good to go. Um, but the uh, other thing is that when you magnetize bases, you don't need as many bases. If you only ever play with 12 ships, you only ever need 12 miniatures. Or 12 bases, I'm sorry. Uh, because any of, the, any of your other ships can fit on those 12 bases. So you don't have to lug around you know, 100 bases for your 100 miniatures. You only need to carry around 12 bases for your 100 miniatures. Right, which is great. Um, we were talking earlier before the interview how, you know, with Armada, you know, from Fantasy Flight, you have, mm -hmm. you know, these bases that kind of snap into the, um, uh, what do you call it, the, the pieces, yeah. but they're plastic. Right. And it always feels like it's going to break. I don't have that feeling when I'm, you know, playing with your miniatures here. You know, on the table, it feels very solid. Um, and even if you go to resin, I mean, are you planning on keeping the same type of snapping in there? Oh, the the adapters work on anything. Well, that the, those are not built into the miniature. Those are a separate thing altogether. You can put them onto any miniature. Well, that that's that, that's why they're called adapters. Right. Is that you can adapt any miniature. You can adapt any base uh, to use them. So, wow, Todd, this has been fantastic. But what I want to do now. Right. Is I want to find out about you. Talk okay. about your love of games. When did that start? Oh, I've always loved games, even as a kid. And uh, my parents weren't necessarily all that big into games, but I loved them. So I would try to get them to play games anytime I could. Uh, but really, uh, I guess when I was about 16, 17, I, I've... Uh, Back in, uh, this would be the early 80s, early to, yeah, pretty much early to mid 80s. Uh, that's when role-playing games like D&D was really taking off mm. and um, super, super popular. And there was a bunch of other games coming out. And uh, I, had, I had known about role-playing games and w had wanted to get into them, but never really found an avenue until I finally met up with a friend that... Uh, introduced me to Gamma World was actually the first role-playing game I ever played and uh, I loved it I mm. thought it was great um, and then I got to college and of course I wanted to play more I got to college and on campus there was a role uh, a gaming uh, um, what do you call them uh, the organization mm -hmm. there was a student organization that was actually a gaming organization so they had they played war games they played role-playing games they played uh just anything and so i got involved with them and unfortunately it ruined my college <laughs> uh grades wise <laughs> during that first year but i do i did make a lot of great friends that i have to this day and that that's when i first played battletech 
And that was really the first real war game that I played and really loved Battletech. Battletech, even to this day, the classic Battletech is mm-hmm. an awesome game. Really, really well designed. Um, and uh, played a bunch of role-playing games and things like that. And so that's really where the, the whole spark and obsession with these sorts of games came up. Then I um, changed colleges, basically came back home, got together with a lot of my old friends and, and really started gaming a lot more with, expanded my friendships there and uh, played a lot more games. We got into uh, the Warhammer games mm. uh, and uh, Space Marine Epic Battles. That was one of my favorites. And Man of War, a lot of Warhammer, or a lot of Games Workshop games. Those are all great games. Um, and so that was where my love of wargaming uh, came from. And then, of course, Babylon 5 came along. And I had played a little bit of Starfleet Battles. Mm-hmm. I had the Star Trek Tactical Combat Simulator um, uh, even uh, during high school or during late high school. I didn't realize at the time that that, was a role, that, that box came with a role-playing game as well because I was all into the starships. But I started playing that as well. And really, uh, it was just a culmination of all these games that I just grew to love that that ultimately drove me to developing my own game and uh i've kind of got lost track of where i was going with this whole conversation <laughs> it was about your love of games and but, uh but yeah and between that and of course the role-playing games i'm developing a role-playing game as well really and uh so, so i've been playtesting that for quite a while as i'm gonna i'm gonna ask mm-hmm. is it more D dice based and and narrative or is it more like what's the new type of role playing they call it nowadays, or, or should I call it dungeon crawl? Uh, that that is a difficult question to answer. Um, again, sort of like how with Hostile Intent is more of an older school mm-hmm. kind of game. I wanted to recapture a lot of that older school idea in in a role playing game. So. You know, I like the idea. You know, I know a lot of games have gone away from class, class systems. You know, you're you're a cleric or you're a fighter or whatever, and you're that class, and you know, you have a particular role in the party, sort of thing. I know a lot of games have moved away from that. They've gone to classless systems, or you you know, in D and D, you have level dipping now and things like that. I'm not a big fan of that mm-hmm. personally. I know I. At least in certain games, I'm not a big fan of that. Other games, it's fine. Uh, but I do like the idea that you're playing... You, you have a purpose in your group. And everybody in the group is is pulling their weight in different ways. And so, yes, my system is a class-based system. But I wanted to not... I wanted to have a consistent rule set. I didn't... Uh, you know, sort of like the refinements that I did for With Hostile Intent. I wanted a simple and refined game that was easy to play uh and so you know i've i looked at uh certain game mechanics and really tried to avoid rules bloat because when rules get bloated where you have a specific rule for each little thing like oh you have grappling rules well they work completely different than regular combat and so you have this whole new set of rules for grappling oh you want to do climbing or, or mounted combat oh that works under completely different rules than 
you know, everything else. That, that to me, is a cumbersome game system. It, it requires a lot of looking at the rule book and trying to remember, oh, how did that work again? Flip, 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 you know. You're, exactly. You're doing things like that. I wanted something that was intuitive. That uh, So, you know, a lot of the rules for my role-playing game uh, work off of the same sort of mechanics. You know, you have your... Uh, and, and some of this... Uh, I tell you, the, the reason why this role-playing game came about, and this is a really its big advantage, is that uh, our group, I, I had a group in, back in California that was comprised of friends from eight years, and so they have kids. And so our gaming group was 12 people on average. So trying to run a role-playing game with 12 players and you as the GM is a difficult task, mm-hmm. even under most game systems and 12 players tends to break most game systems they just don't work under that strain mm-hmm. um we were playing fourth edition D at the time and uh we had gotten i had gotten them i was gming them and at one point it even got up to 16 players um and after about third or fourth level that many players completely broke that game system Really? Just the game mechanics themselves broke down such that it was ungmable. Um, the amount of damage that that many players can pull off in like the first round, and the amount of, you know, you in in that system you had a lot of back and forth. You had a lot of interrupts. You know, like oh, you're that character is moving. I get to do a free attack on him. Oh, because I did a free attack on him. That means Bob the Warlord can do a free attack. Oh, mm-hmm. because Bob the Warlord did a free attack, he can inspire this person <laughs> to do a free attack. And you have this whole conga line of effects that, that really bogs down combat in that mm-hmm. game. And when you're having four players, it's not, it's not really a big deal. But when you have 16 players... You just can't, you know, one round of combat can take five hours with, with all these different effects. And then on top of that, the party gets to the point where they can heal more damage than the monsters can ever do. So, so and they have a lot of means of doing automatic damage to monsters. So, you know, it got to the point where the party could do like. 40 or 60 damage every round for free without ever having to roll to hit. And when a dragon only has like 300 hit points and a dragon is supposed to be way outside their level, right? They this party of like fourth level adventurers could take out the highest level dragon <laughs> in like four rounds wow. without ever having to roll a die. <laughs> that was becoming a problem. Yeah, as I you can, can imagine. See. So... That was one of the other, and we tried champions. We we tried to play champions that right. also st- strained under the under that many players. We tried villains and vigilantes that strained under the uh, the that number of players. And so, the reason this game, this role playing game that I'm developing, came about was to handle that many players efficiently. And so, that's it's really its main design focus was it needed to be so efficient that I could play with 16 players and be able to run a combat and have combat go quickly. 
and uh, and it works. That sounds great. So how do you get all mm-hmm. sixteen of you together? Do you like Skype it through or? No, no. This was at our table. Wow. They're basically, they all. You don't know how hard it now, is to get five people to my table. <laughs> now, now we did it every Sunday, right? So, um, and really, it was really just three three groups. So it was me and my wife. It was uh, my friend, his wife, and his kid. And my other friend and his three kids. Wow. And a babysitter that got roped into <laughs> all of this. And then her boyfriend as well. So that was sort of the big group. So basically every Sunday we'd say, hey, Sunday is game day. And we just, every Sunday, everybody came over and uh, well, we played. That's exciting. When, when you have it ready... I'm here. I'm here for you, Todd. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. We have Todd Boyce again with... With, with Hostel. No, no. I was going to say... Because I was going to say with... Oh, yeah. His game. But there's two withs. Right. Yeah, with Hostel Intent. It's a great game. Hopefully, it'll be coming out soon. Again, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> um, within the next year or two. Uh, check it out. Uh, shameless plug time. What All is right. your website? Uh, ninjamagic.com. Ninja Magic was the name of my company. I had to shut it down when I moved from California, but I just need to restart it again uh, now that I'm here in Texas. Okay. Uh, but that hasn't happened yet because I'm not really ready to get that that whole kit and caboodle thing going again. Right. Uh, do you have a Facebook that... Uh... There is a Facebook group Okay. For, uh, with Hostile Intent. and um... Under the game? Yep. All right. So yep. with Hostile Intent, you... Facebook... Yeah, if you just uh, search for with hostile intent, uh, you'll you'll probably find it. Uh, right. There there's a forum on the website. Now, bear in mind that uh, over the last few years, my life has been really hectic, and so there haven't been very many updates to the website and things like that. Though I did make a post for this uh, great <laughs> this session. Um, I hope uh, hope to do more updates as things start coming back online. Uh, and certainly the the Facebook um, uh, group I can respond to a lot more readily. Well, fantastic. So we're going to have the video up. We're going to have the podcast up. Uh, make sure to check out the live stream of With Hostile Intent uh, on our Facebook page at TLDR Game Series. Uh, you'll find it under our videos. I'll try to link it over to Todd's uh, With Hostile Intent Facebook page as well. So that way you can say it in any place as well as our website at www.tldrgameseries.com. Well, Todd, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for enjoying the game, and I'm glad you had fun. And I did, and hopefully uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Uh, This has been TLDR Game Series on the road. Thank you.